Hello and welcome to Modern Night is Rubbish. I'm Marcus and as you might have guessed, Tom's not with us. But hopefully he'll be uh, back to pod fitness very soon. Uh, so it's just going to be you and me in a very intimate podcast. Oh no, that doesn't sound good, does it? Anyway, so for this episode, Best of Bits number two, I've picked a few more bits from old episodes of Modern Art is Rubbish. In June of last year, we talked about the playful, no-rules movement of Fluxus. And in this next little clip, we're talking about the games that Fluxus artists produced. The first one we talk about is the rather bizarre vegetable chess. Fluxus board games. You ever played veggie chess? Um, no. I, I guess uh, do the pieces uh, represent the chess pieces, or do they have their own special vegetable moves? I don't know. I don't know what the uh, what kind of veggie moves there are. Well, I guess a potato could roll one one square in any direction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a, a, a carrot would have to go in a straight line, wouldn't it? <laughs> so another example, right, uh, of a Fluxus game is by George Brecht and uh, he created a, a bead and swim puzzle and what it was was a box that contained several small plastic balls of varying sizes and two of them were black one was a larger white one and one was a tiny red one one set of instructions read arrange the beads so they are the same and another one said, arrange the beads so they're different. Yeah, you're not going to be able to play that game for long without getting bored, are you? No. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to maths with four beads of those colours, there's only a certain amount of combinations that fit in with those rules. But I guess maybe, you know, he went into art after he got rejected by uh, Warrington's or Waddington's. Warrington's. Who Warrington's. makes games? <laughs> <laughs> Who is it that makes Monopoly? Oh, uh, Waddington's, I don't know. Waddington's, <laughs> Waddington's. Yeah, so I mean, you get rejected from your application for making games and then maybe you just thought, well, the Fluxus movement, they'll have me. <laughs> and I guess that's maybe a good thing about Fluxus. They seem to, like, anything seems to go there. So to any uh, budding people out there who've uh, been rejected by a job, maybe uh, get into Fluxus. Yeah. <laughs> We did an episode on the artist Christo and his late wife, Jean-Claude. Now, they're famous around the world for their site-specific installations, such as wrapping iconic buildings in fabric, making giant sculptures out of oil barrels, or even wrapping large stretches of coastline in fabric. Now, there's a lot of materials involved in making these works. You can imagine that would make him very popular with his suppliers, and that's what Tom thought too. Yeah, so he must be very popular with the oil barrel merchants yeah, yeah. and the, the <laughs> nylon merchants. Well, yeah, he... Ah, Mr. Christo, you again. <laughs> what can I get for you today? <laughs> Please, everyone else leave. We have Mr. Christo here. Mr. Christo, come this way. How much nylon do you want today? We have many umbrellas at the back. We have thousands. <laughs> please, please, Mr. Christo, sir, come this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he must he must need a big team 
you must have site managers and people in hard hats oh yes I mean to set this up it takes a lot of a lot of logistics uh, and year that's what oh Mr Christo we have we have the hard hats as well uh, how many do you want this time <laughs> as part of last year's Halloween special we spoke about the artist Mark Quinn and his work Bloodhead. <laughs> Mark Quinn, the artist, has literally done this now. In 1991, he cast a sculpture of his head from nine pints of his own blood. So you can imagine, you have to create a mould of your face and then you have to keep it in, in a sort of like a special refrigeration unit because the thing would melt otherwise. First time he did it, he was actually an alcoholic, so quite dependent on alcohol. And he wanted to create a sculpture that also had that kind of same dependency on something. It needed something external to survive. Uh, you know, the blood has to be kept frozen, otherwise it melt. So, so what he's done is he's put his blood in a mould and then what's he... <coughs> How's he made it go hard like that? You freeze it, it has to be kept frozen. Funny you say that because actually um, Charles Sartre, who originally owned the first one, there is a rumour, although I don't know if this was to just get the price up, yeah. that builders came into his house once and they were doing uh, work at the request of his uh, then partner, Nigella Lawson, the celebrity chef. And apparently the builders just... Uh, accidentally unplugged the refrigerator and they noticed a kind of red liquid oozing out of their their fridge and they got divorced after that did they yeah <laughs> <laughs> did they they did didn't they yeah well i don't know it was in 2002 and that allegedly happened but yeah. he he went on to sell the head so i assume that there was some deal done oh, right. so yes yeah, so it has to be kept frozen and and he actually makes uh, every five years he actually creates a sculpture himself out of his own blood yes all right so that's one of his like materials that he uses regularly yes so so he's making a sort of portrait of himself and the also the idea is as well is not only is he putting himself into the work it looks like him it's also made up of him and also all the information all that dna information all the biological information is all contained within his sculpture it's not very eco work if it's got to be refrigerated the whole time. Yeah, that's not very good, is it? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so when what era is this when this was created? Well, 1991, and it's been ongoing since. Yeah. So, so he makes one every five years. Yeah. So he's done what five other pieces or? Yes, approximately five other ones. Yeah, five. Yeah, five, five in total, including that one. Mm. All right, so all all of his works that he's made out of his blood are of his head. Yes, he's done yeah. other works. Yeah, but he's not that impressed with his doing one of his arse or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, a short advertisement break. What's wrong, Marcus? I'm so depressed. I keep missing modern artists rubbish episodes. Oh. I keep missing them. Oh, you don't have to worry anymore, Marcus. Why? We, we have a mailing list. Yeah, but when you go on to pages, 
When you go onto them, you have to look and hunt everywhere to find out where you subscribe. No, Marcus. All you do is go to modernartisrubbish.com. Look, let me do it for you. But that's not... I'm not incentivized enough just to sign my email address. I want something. Well, Marcus has done you a turtle picture. You mean I've done a picture of original artwork in high resolution definition? It is high High resolution definition. Oh, that's great, but I don't want 6,000 emails every five minutes. You're not going to spam me, are you? No, we're not going to spam you. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Get in there. <laughs> so just head over to modernartisrubbish.com and subscribe to our email list to be updated on the latest Modern Art is Rubbish news. When you go on Google, you type in a question and it sometimes brings up questions that people have asked previously. And in this particular clip, uh, we decided to ask the questions that people were asking about Van Gogh's ear. Q&A of the world, Van Gogh's ear. I went on to Google and I typed in about Van Gogh's ear. I noticed that there was a section that said people also ask. So I thought, this is this is uh, questions from all over the world. This is the consensus. This is what people from all over the world really want to know. Okay, so yeah, questions the world wants to know about Van Gogh's ear. So this is what Google's yeah. algorithm has given us. This is the questions the world wants to know about Van Gogh's ear. Yes. Question one. Did Van Gogh cut off his ear? Yes, he did. He did it with a razor, and for a long time, scholars thought that it was just his lobe. But a note from his doctor, Felix Ray, found by someone a few years ago, contained a drawing of the injury, and it shows his whole ear. Tom, so, so there you so go. So it was amazing. So the, the doctor was a budding artist himself. Yeah, it was quite nice, quite well drawn. Given what he, um, Van Gogh said when he was working in the gallery to people about not buying the artwork because it's shit. You can imagine the doctor wouldn't have wanted to show him that drawing, can't you? <laughs> I'd be embarrassed to show it. Yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. <laughs> okay, so next question. What the world wants to know about Van Gogh's ear. Which ear did Van Gogh cut off, his left or right? World, it was his left ear. And you can also see this in his 1889 self-portrait with bandaged ear. And we'll put a picture of that on the website. Next question... Who cut off Van Gogh's ear? Who? Who did it? Well, world, I can tell you that he did. But there is another theory. Gauguin was actually a talented fencer. And there is a theory that he may have sliced off Van Gogh's ear after an argument. And they both agreed to cover it up in order to avoid Gauguin going to prison. Okay, this is what the world wants to know about Van Gogh's ear. Yeah. Why did Pablo Picasso cut off his ear? Now, this question is suggesting that it wasn't actually uh, Gauguin. It was Pablo Picasso who cut off his ear. The, this is a real question that came up on, on Google. Now, the question is, is it asking, did Pablo Picasso cut off Van Gogh's ear? Is it the same as asking how old was Mozart when he went deaf? <laughs> Picasso never cut off his own ear and to my mind that's quite a wild theory that Picasso would have cut off Van Gogh's ear considering I don't think he was even born then 
Interesting. So I would actually even say maybe the perfect baby Vincent. I would say the perfect baby Vincent cut off his hair. This is psychological. (laughs) (laughs) Why did Van Gogh remove his hair? Well, he'd been arguing intensely with Gauguin, but also it's now believed that Van Gogh actually received a letter from his brother saying he was going to get married. Now, Van Gogh had a really uh, close relationship with his brother. One could assume that he was worried uh, that this was going to affect their relationship. On a side note as well, apparently Van Gogh actually walked into a brothel with his severed ear and gave it to a young woman and she was someone who actually worked in the brothel. Um, the theory is that she may actually have been a maid and not a prostitute. Okay, so which one's more likely, given your research? 50-50, maid or prostitute, or maybe a prostitute that does cleaning as well. It's not like your regular thing you do with your severed ear. No, certainly not. <laughs> Of course, famous artists do have other jobs before they become artists. And in this clip, we're talking about what Jules Zelitsky did before he became an artist. There'll be a lot of people go, oh, why don't you get a job? Get a proper job. So, so he, he did. He did try one job, and he was working in in Times Square as a barker, which is called. Cool. It's not to do with dogs, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, sounds like a great job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> run! 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 <laughs> so basically, you stand outside a a film, a movie theatre, and you tell people the film's going to start in five minutes. Quick, hurry up! You know, where the doors are closing. Get in the film. And apparently he did it so well, he was so good at this job, that he, um, he was actually asked by the boss, can you come in and uh, can you man the phones for us? Can you actually... Uh, answer the phones. Yeah, you know. And yeah. yeah, answer. <laughs> Glad we clarified that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cleared that one. <laughs> Phone so, security, you can't touch that handset. <laughs> so, so basically, he would, you know, people would ring up and ask him where the times were. Uh, but there was a little bit of a problem here because... Uh, when people would ask him what the the movie was about, he would basically make up films. So <laughs> so if they said, "Oh, well, what's this film about?" He'd generally just make up a plot line. And uh, have you got an example? Norm- normally, it would involve a, a struggling artist, and of course, what would happen was his movie goers would complain as soon as the uh, you know as soon as when the movie was not as what was described to them. So. Um, so people would go there thinking they were going to see one film. Moviegoers would then realise that it wasn't what he described and they'd, uh, uh, they'd get very angry and eventually got the sack. I mean, if you were running a movie theatre, yeah, you yeah. would sack him, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Rock's here, Times Square. Hello, can I help you? Uh, hello, yes. Um, my wife and I are interested in coming to your movie theatre this afternoon. We were interested in your film, Back to the Future. Yeah, Back to the Future. That's great. That's about a. Uh, it's about a life of a struggling artist. It's a biography about his whole life from birth to death, and his entire film. He actually walks 
backwards with his back to the future and at some point it's a love story and he meets a woman coming the other way and she's got her back to the future as well she's walking backwards and they fall in love well myself that's great but myself and my wife were wondering whether it has any scenes of a sexual nature in it oh yes loads absolutely loads mate okay we'll see you in a minute (laughs) (laughs) that's it for this episode thanks so much for listening um, just please head over to the website and subscribe to our email list and we'll keep you updated on everything that is modern art is rubbish. So it's just buyers then. <laughs> Bye. 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 Modern art is rubbish. Bye. <laughs>